It was truly an exciting, encouraging week at Vacation Bible School. And you look at 130 kids. That is the most kids that we have had in VBS for many years, at least a decade, perhaps ever. And one of the things that's exciting to me is the fact that, that many of these kids come from a background where they are not active in any gospel-centered church. Yet this week, they are able to hear the gospel, the good news that through Jesus we can be reconciled with God and that we can have eternal life. And our prayer is that each one of these children, as they grow, as time passes, will embrace Jesus and grow as his follower throughout their lives. Realistically, though, not every one of them will follow Jesus throughout their lives. Some of them will. Hopefully many of them will. But there will be some for whom, you know, they had a good time this week. They, they had a lot of fun. They, they learned some good things. But there will be, still be some for whom this week has little to no impact on them long term. They all heard the same message. They all were involved in the same activities. But there will be different responses. Why is that? That question could be asked in any variety of different ministry settings. For instance, if you are seeking to point someone to Jesus, whether it's in your workplace or at school or in your neighborhood or among family and friends, some people will be genuinely interested and might even commit their lives to Christ. Yet at the same time, there will be others who are just kind of indifferent, don't really care. And there will be others that when you try to point them to Jesus, they will get angry, they'll be hostile, they'll, they won't want anything to do with anything related to Jesus. Same message, different responses. Similarly here this morning, we're in this time slot of the service that is for the sermon and some of you will pay, pay very careful attention to everything that's said this morning. You go out this week and try to put it into practice. For others of you, you will probably listen politely. And then you'll go out this week and promptly forget everything that was said and not really do much with it. And, and there will be others of you who, frankly, probably won't hear all that much that's said this morning because you'll be daydreaming or thinking about something else through this message. That's just a reality. But, but why different responses to the same message? Even Jesus dealt with this. I mean, he is God in human form, the best preacher who ever lived, um, great at relating to people. But even in his ministry, all kinds of different responses to the same message of the kingdom, but different responses. And today, we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture that helps us to understand why do different people respond in different ways even when they hear the same message. Let me pray for us, then we'll dive in. Our Father, we thank you that you are a God who wants to seek and save the lost, and that you sent Jesus to do just that. Lord, we thank you for all the children who are at Vacation Bible School this week. Lord, we pray that you will be at work in their lives. I pray that the seeds of the gospel that were sown this week will grow and flourish throughout the course of their lives. And also even that you'll be working in families of children who are there this week and, and siblings and parents and grandparents to soften their hearts and open their eyes to the truths of the gospel and that you'll give them a desire to follow you, to get connected with the body of Christ here in this area, even here at Freedens, that can help them to grow spiritually. And Lord, now as we open the scripture, I pray that you will give us ears to hear what you have to say to us, eyes to see where you're calling us to go, how you're calling us to live and Lord, I pray that you give us a will that is ready to respond to what you are calling us to do. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I invite you to turn your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13. We are beginning a series today that is called Parables. And as we begin the series, I want to share a little bit of background specifically about this idea of parables. And one of the first questions is, what is a parable? We're talking about parables. What is a parable? Well, a parable is a story about a real-life situation from which a moral or a spiritual truth is drawn. It it doesn't have to be a story that actually happened, but it needs to be realistic because the parable starts with a situation that is very familiar to people that makes sense, that they intrinsically understand, but then it uses that story to help point people to a truth that they don't yet understand. And so it's important that they understand what is being said in in the story. And you look at Jesus' parables, and they were very down to earth. I mean, Jesus in his parables, he told stories of farming and fishing. He told stories uh, about weddings and about work, about paychecks, and then about losing a coin and having to go look for it. He, He told parables that started with the idea of shopping or sibling rivalry. His parables included the idea of forgiving a friend or even helping a stranger. Everyday events that people could relate to. And Jesus loved using parables. When you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you can find around 40 distinct parables that Jesus shared. Those are just what are recorded. He probably told even more than that. And I think a reasonable question is, why did Jesus like using parables so much? Why did he enjoy speaking in parables? And I think it's because Jesus understood the power of a story. Stories have the, uh, have the power to engage people in a way that outlines and facts and lectures cannot. You think about children at bedtime. What do children say at bedtime sometimes? Do they say, Mom, Dad, can you please tell me some facts? No. All right. Mom, Dad, uh, before I go to bed, uh, can you please share with me some propositional statements? No. That's something you will never hear them say. What, what do they say? They say, can you tell me a story? And they might specify the, the type of story they want to hear or something like that. But, but they want to hear a story because stories draw you in. Stories are engaging. Stories engage the emotion. And, and, and while stories entertain, they also help us to see things from a different perspective. And so stories are very powerful. And Jesus' parables, these stories that he told, they, they, they convey spiritual truth. They reveal truth. Because Jesus had some very deep truths that he wanted to communicate. Truths about God, truths about God's kingdom. And some of these truths could be quite abstract. Or if he just laid it right out there, they would go right over people's heads. And some of the truths that he needed to share were unpopular, where there would be immediate resistance if he just laid it right out there in a propositional statement or an outline form. And so what he did was he packaged spiritual truths within the context of a story to help draw people in and help show people a new way to live, God's way. And that is why the subtitle of this series about parables is that parables are stories that redefine reality. And so we're going to look at this topic of parables over the next number of weeks from now till Labor Day. 
we're going to be looking at 15 of Jesus' parables. All of these parables that we're going to be looking at come from the Gospel of Matthew. There are way more parables that we're not going to look at, but we're going to look at Jesus' parables from the Gospel of Matthew. And I invite you to follow along now in your Bibles as I read Matthew chapter 13, picking up in verse 1. And this is the first parable that we have recorded from Jesus. It says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And so this is the parable itself. And it's a parable, it's a story that people in that society could relate to very well. That was an agrarian society, meaning that it was very agricultural. People had an intrinsic understanding of what it was like to sow seed. They had seen many times, if they hadn't done it themselves, they'd seen many times where a farmer would be out there just scattering seed along the ground. And so they would have intrinsically understood the, the, the principles that Jesus is talking about here, at least in terms of the illustration, the story. But this is one of the very few parables that Jesus actually explains directly. And so I invite you to follow along, jumping ahead now to verse 18. Jesus says, listen then to what this parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling in rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since there is no root, they, have, they, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. And so we have this explanation where Jesus is teaching crowds of people. And remember this context of what we're talking about is why people respond differently to the same message that they hear. And that is what Jesus is explaining in this parable. And he does so using the analogy of four different types of soil. And these soils represent people's hearts. And the first type of soil that he talks about represents a hard this is the seed, he says, that falls along the path. Now back in fields back then, there would be paths either on the sides of the fields or even through the fields where for years or even decades, countless feet would trample down the dirt on that path. It would make it rock hard, I mean like concrete. And a seed that fell along that hard dirt, that, that packed dirt, that path, would have no chance. 
And so that seed of the gospel in this, in this analogy, in this parable, it does not grow. Look with me to verse 19. Jesus says, When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was sown in their heart. The seed doesn't grow. And specifically, Jesus says, you know what, that ground is so hard in that person's heart, the seed does not sink in, it does not start to sprout, it just sits there on the surface, and just like a bird would come along and take that seed away, which that's what birds do. If you have seed out there, they will come and take it away. He says that is what Satan, that's what the forces of evil will do as well. They will snatch away that seed of the gospel from that person's heart, and then there will be no spiritual growth that occurs. Why? Because their heart is hard. Now, what hardens people's hearts? Well, at the root of what hardens people's hearts is sin. Sin hardens the heart. We are all born with a sinful nature as a part of living in this broken, fallen world. But then as we live our lives, our sinful nature causes us to to engage in sinful actions, sinful words, sinful attitudes. And as we engage in sin, that hardens our heart more, which leads to more activities of sin, which hardens our hearts more. And it's this cycle. And something has to break that cycle. And thankfully, we have a God who loves to soften hard hearts, who loves to give us a heart of flesh rather than a heart of stone. But many people, they still keep their hearts hard. And this is why people, at times when they, when they hear the gospel, they might respond with indifference of, you know what, I just don't care. Or they even respond with anger or hostility because they have a hard heart. And assuming that the message of the gospel is shared uh, wisely and faithfully, graciously, respectfully, the problem is not with the message The problem was with the hearer that they have a hard heart that prevents the gospel from sinking in and bearing fruit. And so that is one type of of heart condition that people can have, is a hard heart that prevents any sort of spiritual growth from taking place. Now, a second type of soil condition that Jesus is talking about here is a shallow heart. And here he's referring to seed that falls on rocky soil. And back then, as he's giving this parable, he is in a region of Israel called Galilee. And Galilee um, was very familiar with rocky soil because that was the type of soil they typically had in Galilee. That frequently, even if you had dirt up on the surface, just dig down just a few inches and you would get to rock, even bedrock. And so there was a lot of rocky soil there. So the listeners would be able to understand what Jesus was saying. That seed gets there, it goes in that soil, it starts to sprout, but it doesn't have deep roots. And so the sun comes out and scorches that plant, and it withers. But we see here that there is initial enthusiastic growth. Look with me over to verse 20. It says, The seed falling in rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. And so this is someone, if we want to talk about, okay, what does this type of person look like in today's world? It might be someone who, who you know, someone invites them to church. They come in here, uh, say, on a Christmas or Easter, and think, wow, this is great. And they start to get connected, and they're, they're all excited about church, and they're excited about the programs going on here. They, they're, they're gushing about how friendly everyone is. And, 
You know, in worship services, they're, they're singing along, and they may even have some tears coming down their cheeks during especially meaningful songs, and, and they're taking notes during the sermons, and, and they're, they're going out there and posting on Facebook afterwards about how awesome it was. They're excited, and they may even be growing. But something happens. It says in verse 21, But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The soil is shallow and difficulties wither the growth. The difficulties may come in a variety of different forms. Maybe losing a job and getting frustrated over that. Maybe it's that they had a romance that they were excited about. Or even a marriage that fell apart. Maybe it's they got a tiff with someone here at church, a disagreement. They just kind of boiled over and kind of soured their attitude. Maybe it's that there's some health issue that popped up in their life or in someone close to them. Maybe it's that they are truly getting excited about Jesus and they're growing, but someone they care about very deeply begins to question all this Jesus stuff. Maybe it's at school or at work, people begin to mock them because they are getting so interested and involved in church. Something comes along, some hardship, some trial, some persecution, and it causes them to fall away. Just as quickly as they got involved and were growing and excited, just as quickly they fall away. Now, Jesus, as he's talking about this, he's, he's referring specifically to people who are young in the faith, people who are just getting started. And we have to remember that this is the type of crowd that he's talking with because then all this teaching that Jesus was providing was new. So everyone in that crowd, if they respond to Christ, would essentially be a new believer. But we have to understand that these principles about how hardships and trials and persecution can cause people to fall away, they can apply to anyone no no matter how long someone has been following Jesus. I mean, I imagine that, that most or all of us can think of examples. I, I think just one example that's not right here, but a man named Jack Welch. Jack Welch, um, he is just, he's a legend in business and management circles and leadership circles. He was the CEO of General Electric from 1981 through 2001. And during that 20-year period, GE experienced a 4,000% increase in value. So he is a legend in leadership circles. And he grew up very involved in his church, very involved in his faith, and that carried over into adulthood until his early 30s when his mother died of a heart attack. And in, in, in Jack Welch's autobiography, he said about that event, he said, I felt cheated, angry, and mad at God for taking my mother away. So he blamed God for that. It was obviously a trial. It was very sad, something that came along in his life. But from then on, he didn't want anything to do with Christianity any longer. He said he still believed in God, but he was no longer going to be following Christ. He was no longer, from then on, involved in any church. When people face major trials in life, it presents a fork in the road. It's either going to turn them towards Christ We're away from Christ. Unfortunately, Jesus says that there are some who because of major trials in their life, they turn away. In this parable, Jesus points to the problem of having no root. Or that the roots 
are very shallow because of the rocky soil. Back in in verse 6, Jesus said that when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Now, they obviously had some root, but what he's saying is that the roots did not go deep because the rocky soil, the hardness underneath, was preventing the roots from getting down and getting that nourishment and moisture that they desperately need. And that sun came up and it scorched those plants and the plants withered. And, and the scorching sun of trials and persecution, it can come to anyone. And this points to the need to have deep roots in our faith. Deep roots in terms of understanding what we believe and why we believe it. Deep roots in terms of, of a conviction of we are going to stay committed to Christ no matter what happens. We need deep roots of strong fellowship with others in the body of Christ who can help nourish us and encourage us to keep going even when we face trials. These people that Jesus is talking about um, in, in this um, second soil, they started with joy. But that joy, that enthusiasm for Jesus was based more on external circumstances than on an internal conviction to stay committed to Jesus. And when those circumstances got difficult, they withered and fell away. So that is a second type of soil that Jesus is talking about that characterizes people's hearts, a shallow heart. He then goes on to talk about a third type of heart condition, and that is a strangled heart. Look with me over to verse 7. Jesus said, Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. So we see that the seed started to grow well, but then thorns grew up around it. Weeds grew up around it and choked it out. These weeds and thorns prevented that plant from getting the nourishment and the sun that it needed. And it choked it out. And if you've ever gardened, you know that weeds are very competitive. They really are. They grow like crazy. It's, it's, it's disheartening to see how much better and how much faster the weeds grow than the plants that you really want. And you have to stay on top of that. Or else the weeds are going to take over and render your crop that you're hoping for, render it relatively useless. Or at least less fruitful than it would have been otherwise And Jesus here in this passage talks about two different types of weeds that can strangle people's heart for Christ. Over in verse 22, he says, The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. So he's talking about competition from worldly pursuits. There's competition. There's always a competition out there for the devotion of our hearts. And the issue is, these other things come in, kind of like weeds in the garden, and they crowd out our heart for Christ. They strangle our heart for Christ and make us unfruitful in our faith. Now, it doesn't happen all at once. You think about weeds in the garden. I mean, if you go a day or a week without pulling weeds in your garden, they won't be out of control yet. But if you let it go over a period of time, The weeds will grow up. They will cause so much competition for the plants in the garden that the garden becomes relatively unfruitful. It's a gradual process in the same way of strangling people's hearts for Christ. That doesn't take place usually overnight. It's a gradual process when those weeds are not pulled out as they come up, but the weeds are allowed to grow. 
they eventually strangle out a person's passion and heart for Christ. Last week, as we concluded the, the series on 2 Timothy, we came across this guy named Demas. Demas had this problem. 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul says, For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone back to Thessalonica. So Demas, he, he didn't get caught up in any major heresy. He, he didn't have any obvious major sin. Instead, he got caught up in the things of this world. The competition for his heart strangled his heart for Christ and caused him to become unfaithful to Jesus and to Paul. That's what can happen when weeds grow up and they're left to grow unchecked. And as I look at this, uh, these three different um, soil conditions we've looked at so far, the, the hard heart and then the shallow heart and then the strangled heart, there is a progression that's going on here. The first soil condition doesn't grow anything. The seed falls in that hard ground, nothing happens except it's taken away. Second soil condition, the seed sprouts, stuff starts coming up, but then it withers because of that scorching sun, the trials, the persecutions that come along. It's unfruitful as well. The third seed, it grows, and it may still survive, but it's choked out by so much competition, so many worries, so many uh, weeds and, and thorns. It's unfruitful as well. As I look at these three different soil conditions that Jesus has talked about so far, uh, I've seen them all. I see them all on a regular basis. But when I look at these three different conditions, which represent heart conditions in people and their response to Christ, and I look at, okay, which one is most prevalent here in church or in any church? I think it's this third one, the strangled heart. And part of it has to do that, that we are a self-selecting crowd, meaning that we are not a completely random assortment of people in society. Because you have to make some sort of conscious choice to be here this morning. People who have super hard hearts towards Jesus, you generally won't see them in church at all. Or if they're here, not very much. People who are the second type, the shallow heart that, that was growing well, but then withered when challenges came along, generally give it a little bit of time after those difficulties come, and they're out of here. And so I look at these first three soils, and I think, you know what? The one that, that has, it presents the most challenges for people who are actively involved in a church setting is this third one, the strangled heart. The one that gets so much competition from other things. And I think busyness. Busyness is destroying people's walk with Christ. It is. And busyness comes from all kinds of things. Many times good things. But it's been said, if the devil can't make you bad, he will make you busy. Because it's that distracted heart that, that gets strangled away from a heart for Christ. And busyness sometimes comes from work. It comes from kids' sports and other activities. It comes from travel. It comes maybe just, you know what, Sunday mornings or, or Wednesday night youth group or, or, or Bible study comes along and you're just too tired. Because Saturday wore you out. Or the week wore you out. You're just too busy. And it, it strangles a heart for Christ. I see this in my own life. I look at these three soils. This is the soil that, that in my life is something I have to watch out for the most. Because you know what? For me, it's the busyness of ministry. They can strangle a genuine heart for Jesus. You can get so caught up in the busyness of church life and of good things that you're distracted from really communing with Jesus and walking closely with him. 
And so we need to be on our guard for having a strangled heart in which our heart for Jesus is so crowded by other competition, by other devotions, that we are unfruitful in our walk with God. Now, Jesus does not end the parable here. He moves on to talk about the open heart. He says this over in verse 23. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So this person is ready and willing to, to receive the gospel, to submit their lives to Christ, to follow him wherever he leads. There's a, there's a level of surrender here. Uh, an acronym that I really like is that Jesus is looking for fat disciples. F-A-T represents faithful, available, teachable. This is the idea of someone who has an open heart, ready to respond to whatever God wants to do in their lives. That they are faithful. That when God says, you know what, do this or do that or go over here or, do, or whatever, that they want to respond. They're faithful to wherever God's calling them. They're faithful to God's people as well. They're available. Their hearts are not so strangled. Their schedules are not so strangled with busyness that they're completely unavailable. But they say, God, here I am. Rework my priorities. Do in me what you want. Not my will, but yours be done. They're teachable as well. They're ready to learn again from God, from God's word, and from God's people. Faithful, available, teachable. These are the characteristics of, of this open heart that is ready for God to work in and through them. And this is a heart that yields fruit. The fruit grows in different ways, at different paces, but it yields fruit. 130, 60-fold. And, and you may be wondering, okay, what type of fruit is this talking about? I think there are a couple different angles of it. One side of the fruit comes from what, what Jesus says is the greatest commandment. Matthew 22, he's asked, okay, what's the greatest commandment? And he says the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. He says these are the greatest commandments. And so in terms of fruitfulness that God wants to bear in and through us, it's a growing love for God. It's a growing love for the people around us. And also associated with that, it's growth in Christ-like character. Now, another type of fruit is a fruit that I would say is associated with the Great Commission. Matthew 28, where Jesus said, go, make disciples of all nations. It's disciple-making fruit. It's, it's ministry. It's helping other people grow spiritually. This is another type of fruit that Jesus wants to bear in and through us. And if we are able to maintain open, soft hearts to what God wants to do, he will bear this fruit. Again, it grows at different paces, looks differently in different people's lives, but it's fruit nonetheless. And this is the goal. And so we have to keep in mind, as Jesus is delivering this parable, he's speaking to a crowd of people. Back in verse 2, it says that such large crowds gathered around him, they got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. He created this amphitheater effect so that he could speak to those large crowds. But he knew that out in that crowd there are going to be some who have hard hearts who just will hear his message but they won't care. They'll dismiss it. They may get angry. They may just be indifferent and that seed doesn't grow. And there will be others in that crowd who are excited. They receive that message with joy but then trials come along, difficulties, persecutions and they fall away. And he knows that there will be others in that crowd that day who, who, you know what, they're excited, they're growing, yet their heart is still pulled in other directions as well. 
And even though they may say, you know, I'm still committed to Jesus, they're not fruitful because their heart is pulled elsewhere. But he knows that within that crowd there will be others who have that open heart, who, who receive the gospel excitedly, and who are committed to being faithful, available, teachable, and they grow as followers of Christ and bear great fruit for God's kingdom. He knows that there will be all these different responses out there in that crowd and that day, but it begs a question for us here in the 21st century of what is the condition of your heart? What's the condition of your heart? Because these are not just about soils, they're about heart conditions. What's the condition of your heart? Let me just ask a few clarifying questions to help, help kind of tease out what's going on in our heart. One question is, how committed are you to surrendering everything to Jesus? This is the idea of being faithful, available, teachable. Do we have an open heart to say, Jesus, I want you to have your will done in my life. How committed are we to that? Or do we try to hold back some parts of our life for ourselves? A second question is how serious are you about addressing your spiritual vulnerabilities? We talked about this a couple weeks ago in, in terms of we all have vulnerabilities that can prevent us from finishing strong in the race of faith. How serious are you in addressing those vulnerabilities to prevent them from derailing you? Because the reality is we can be generally submitted to God and his will for our lives, but we can still have those little parts of our lives where we have a relatively hard heart, a part of our life that we are not submitting to him. And it could very well be those parts that, that derail us in the future and prevent us from being ultimately fruitful for God's kingdom. So how serious are you? How serious am I about addressing our spiritual vulnerabilities to help us be as fruitful as possible? And the final question is what type of growth are you seeing in your life? This is looking more, about, more at the results or the outcomes that you're currently seeing. It shows, you know what, am I being fruitful? Is there growth? And again, it's not meant just to beat ourselves down or, or to compare ourselves with others. It's meant to look back over the course of our lives, especially however long we've been seeking to follow Jesus and ask, can I see growth? Can I identify parts of my character that are different now than they were three years ago? Have I seen God working through me to help others grow as followers of Jesus? And if we aren't seeing any growth in that type of way, we need to question, you know what, maybe my heart is not the open heart. Maybe it's being strangled. Maybe it's the shallow heart. Maybe it's just hard. The cool thing about the soils analogy is that soil can be cultivated to become more fruitful. I think about my garden. I took a picture of my garden on the way to church this morning. This is my garden right in the corner of church. I do a lot of work in that garden to try to make it fruitful. If I just threw some seeds out there, not much would happen. So this spring, just actually a few weeks ago, because here in Port, this close to the lake, we plant our gardens late. Um, got a tiller from the hardware store because I wanted to break up that soil. It's the first time I ever got a tiller for that little space. But I thought, you know what? It grows weeds every year. I want to get down there and really chop up um, the, the roots of those weeds so those weeds don't have as much of a chance to grow. So I, I tilled up the soil. I bought composted manure. Bobby sold it to me there at the hardware store. <laughs> bought some composted manure, lay it down there, get some nutrients for those plants, plant the plants, pull all the weeds out, put down some preen in places where the plants aren't to help prevent the weeds from growing. And still every day I walk by that garden many times a day. I, I walk over there, see what's growing, pull out whatever weeds have started to grow because I don't want those weeds to take over the garden. Then yesterday, I put up a fence. You can see the fence post right there because deer started eating our garden again this year. <laughs> they do it every year. 
The deer has no fear. Shelly and I were sitting out in the patio a couple nights ago. Oh, here comes the deer right between the house and church. That's the standard route every day. Every day. He just nibbled off some of our green beans a couple nights ago. So, and I know that he'll keep going more and more and more over the coming weeks. So let's put up a fence because you need to protect the garden if you want a crop to grow. In the same way, we need to protect our hearts. We need to cultivate our hearts. And if your heart is hard or if you have other people in your life whose hearts are hard, you can cultivate the soil there to promote better growth. We cultivate the soil of other people's hearts through, through loving actions, through our words, through our attitudes. Parents, you have a significant responsibility in helping cultivate the heart of your child. You look at those kids at VBS, 130 kids. The receptivity of those kids to the gospel will be significantly influenced by their parents. Whether their parents help them get involved in Christian community, whether their parents talk about spiritual things at home, whether their parents um, make time and space in their children's lives for spiritual growth, or whether the parents schedule their children so full that their hearts for Christ are strangled. Parents have a significant influence in cultivating the soil of their children's hearts for how receptive it'll be to the gospel long term. And we have a responsibility in our own lives as well to prepare our hearts to be open for what God wants to do in and through us. And I pray that we will take this seriously. You know, humans are notorious for knowing good things to do, knowing the important things to do, but still not doing them. I mean, speaking of heart conditions, around this nation every year, there are more than half a million people who have heart bypass surgery. Their hearts are in serious trouble. And their doctors always have a conversation with them about, you need to make some changes in your life to get a healthier heart long term. You need to exercise more. You need to eat better, reduce the stress in your life, stop smoking and drinking, stuff like that. You know that two years after that heart bypass surgery, even though they've basically been told you need to change or die, about 90% of those people who receive that news are unchanged two years later. They know what's important. They know what's good, but they don't change. I pray that we will take our heart condition much more seriously than that, our spiritual heart condition in terms of our relationship with God so that God can work in us and through us to cause us to truly love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and truly love our neighbors as ourselves. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you're a God who loves to work in people's lives. Lord, I know that, that we have a responsibility to plant seeds and to water seeds, but you're the one who makes those seeds grow. Yet we still have a responsibility in our lives and other people's lives. And I pray that you will do a work in each one of us to redefine the reality by which we are living. To soften our hearts to the gospel, to soften our hearts in those areas that may still be kind of hard, that we've been kind of trying to, to put by the wayside. Parts of our hearts that, that we have not submitted to yet. Lord, help us to cultivate the soil of our lives, to have soft hearts that are ready to bear fruit for your kingdom. Lord, we know that, that there are many things in competition for the devotion of our hearts. But I pray that you will open our eyes in fresh ways to the greatness of Jesus and open our wills and our convictions to follow him and submit to him. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.